it, Red Arms. Give it your all. We'll drink the wine till the cup is dry and kiss the girls on down the cry and toss the dice until we fly and dance with Jack of the Shadows. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining again for another episode of Tales of a Red Arm. I'm your host, Justin, and we have a bit of a small chapter today. It's not very long, but that doesn't mean it's not filled with lots and lots of little goodies. Um, so, I guess, just a quick flashback to the last episode, slash chapter, and it's basically Rand and Loyal go on an adventure uh, after leaving Tom's uh, room in the Bunch of Grapes, and... They end up getting chased by Trollocs through Kyrian's foregate and end up in an Illuminator's uh, chapter house and blowing holes in walls and exploding up fireworks and a lot of cool things uh, while also meeting Selene there. And then Selene goes missing again and uh, returning to the Defender of the Dragon Wall, getting a letter from Selene, Rand just asked the normal question the situation that happened to him are all women crazy <laughs> and then um pretty much that was the end of that chapter but now since chapter 28's a bit of a change in point of view um chapter 28 a new thread in the pattern it's gonna start a little bit differently so we'll go right into it so Perrin is the main character i guess in this particular chapter uh many characters are mentioned obviously but it's from his perspective his point of view so don't be surprised when it mentions Perrin a lot <laughs> because that's how you know um so at this point Perrin is looking at the mountains of kinslayer deck kinslayer's dagger excuse me um but he's kind of weirded out by it and i mean i would imagine anyone who saw kinslayer's dagger would probably be unnerved by it considering how it was created since it was created by um a man who could channel and <laughs> kind of his resting place tomb if you will um also notice loose there in telemon the former dragon um so they're heading south still as far as i could recall and they're following the trail of the Trollocs and Fane and trying to find them while also still trying to keep an eye out for Loyal, Huron, and Rand. But since Perrin's the quote-unquote sniffer, he's also communicating with the wolves to essentially sniff, quote-unquote again, <laughs> um, for these individuals to like see like where have you seen anybody which direction are they gone what are they doing but the wolves are just basically saying that there's people in the mountains and parents thinking maybe they're fangs dark friends maybe they're just random people maybe they're tuatha on or something like they're just kind of nowhere really but the wolves don't know about the humans and they don't really care because they only really care about the Twisted Ones, also known as Trollocs. Um, 
Twisted Ones implies, it's the word the wolves use for Trollocs, but it implies the creation of Trollocs as a mixture, by blending basically man and animal together to make a Trolloc. Um, so, Ingtar is basically hard on the group, trying to push them and push them and push them. And it's basically a a wariness settling on the group, especially on Uno, who's watching the mountains like Perrin is, which is basically unease. And <laughs> Uno's a seasoned veteran, so if Uno's doing it, it's probably time to take notice. So that means probably somebody else is also doing it as well, but at least Uno and Perrin are. Matt's following along, but uh, he's got his bow across his back, and he's just kind of like, you know, un seemingly unconcerned and juggling three colored balls while riding, which is talent, I gotta say. But he, he's looking more sickly and more pale than he previously had. And now Varen's, you know, checking him out basically two, three times a day. But Perrin's pretty sure she tried healing, but nothing would have changed the difference because it was the connection to the dagger that was keeping him slash healthy slash not healthy. Um, at least alive. And now Perrin can't really see any difference between bef like them leaving, getting healed and after like looking sickly and not being healed and still looking sickly. Like there's not really any difference, but now Varen seems to be thinking about some of the things and not really paying attention to Matt. So Perrin's thinking she's thinking about Rand. I know that was kind of a weird plan where just thinking about thinking, but she's in front of the column with Ingtar and she seems to get them to push harder and harder and harder, but even Ingtar, who's trying to push them really, really hard, understands, you know, the horses can only take so much. Um, they need to rest. They need to go at slow paces. They need to take breaks every once in a while, but they still have to make time. But Perrin's sure that Varen knows something about Rand. And... Now Perrin's having these different images popping up in his head. It's the way the wolves send, I don't want to say smells, but essentially they send what they understand, essentially like a text message to him. It pops it open. It's like, oh, look, check it out. There's some images. So you got like a stone farmhouse, terraced villages, different things beyond the mountain peaks. But the wolves just see them like they saw, they, they see hills or meadows, just that the feeling that they're spoiled, like basically perverted by the two legs and destroyed and taken apart rather than being the natural nature space, I guess they're, they would be used to. But, um, Perrin kind of feels just at least for a moment, this regret in the spoiling of the land and remembering places the two legs had been or had long abandoned and all these things like running through the trees swiftly and then hamstringing a snap of his jaws as a deer tried to flee and he's he feels like he's losing control so he snaps back out of that and pushes the wolves out 
And <laughs> Baron's thought is, these Aes Sedai are going to destroy all of us. And he's not necessarily wrong, but he's not necessarily right. Um, and there's going to be a lot of reading today in small spurts, so uh, hopefully you guys will enjoy that. But I'm going to read the next part because it's kind of important, I guess. Ingtar let his horse fall back beside Perrin's. Sometimes, to Perrin's eyes, the crescent crest on the Shinaran's helmet looked like a Trolloc's horns. Ingtar said softly, Tell me again what the wolves said. I've told you ten times, Perrin muttered. Tell me again anything I may have missed, anything that will help me find the horn. Ingtar drew a breath and let it out slowly. I must find the horn of Valir, Perrin. Tell me again. There was no need for Perrin to order it in his mind, not after so many repetitions. He droned it out. Someone, or something, attacked the Dark Friends in the night and killed those Trollocs we found. His stomach no longer lurched at that. Ravens and vultures were messy feeders. The wolves call him, or it, Shadow Killer. I think it was a man, but they wouldn't go close enough to see clearly. They are not afraid of the Shadow Killer. Awe's more like it. They say the Trollocs now follow Shadow Killer, and they say Fane is with them. Even after so long, the remembered smell of Fane, the, the feel of the man, made his mouth twist. So the rest of the Dark Friends must be too. Shadow Killer, Ingtar murmured. Something of the Dark One. Like a Murdral? I have seen things in the Blight that might be called Shadow Killers, but... Did they see nothing else? They would not come close to him. It was not a Fade. I've told you, they will kill a Fade quicker than they will kill a Trolloc. Even if they lose half the pack. Ingtar. The wolves who saw it passed this on to others, then still others, before it reached me. I can only tell you what they passed on. And after so many tellings... He let the words die as Uno joined them. So, a little bit to unpack, not a whole lot, but little things about, obviously, Ingtar being super impatient and wants to learn everything he can, which is understandable, but still, it's impatient. Um, Perrin having to repeat himself so many times. He's, of course, not fond of that. But we learn these things. Something or someone attacked the Dark Friends in the night, kills Trollocs, and then the Trollocs and Fane, and potentially the Dark Friends, chase the Shadow Killer. And the Shadow Killer is something that they don't have any idea who it is. We know who it is. I mean, obviously, we've, we've been through those chapters already. We know who went in there. We know who killed stuff, and we know why the Trollocs are following them. <laughs> Especially Fane. So, it's not like it's a, a shocker to us, the reader, but it is a shocker to the Shinarans and Perrin, Matt, and Baron. And they're not sure, like, somebody comes in, kills Trollocs, and then leaves. Now, the strange thing is that Ingtar's like, well, it has to be something of the Dark One. And I'm like, okay, Shadow, Killer, Shadow, 
killer. Not, like, a device that the Shadow uses to kill people, but, like, a killer of Shadow. And the Shadow is the Dark One's entire essence and being. So if you're killing the Shadow, then you're probably not something that the Dark One created. And on top of that, wolves would know the difference between a Merdral, or a Fade, and, as they call it, the Eyeless, um, they would know the difference between a Fade, Eyeless, Merdral, whatever, and the Shadow Killer. So if it was a Fade, then they'd be like, it's a Fade, there's a Fade, there's an Eyeless. And you're like, they didn't say that, so it's not a Merdral. But Ingtar, for some reason, goes to that. And they're like, I've seen things in the Blight that could be called Shadow Killers. Uh, but, again, those are just corruptions of something else. This is something that literally went in, killed some Trollocs, and left. And now these guys are pursuing it. So it's not terrifying enough to the Trollocs for them not to pursue it. And there's a reason for them to pursue it. But the Shadow Killer, for some reason, in Ingtar's mind, I don't really understand why. Because that's not how my mind would have thought. But maybe because he, he sees the word shadow and thinks it must be of the shadow because shadow is in the name, which is a really, really silly thing, honestly. But even with that, Perrin's like, look, we're playing phone right now. And like, I'm pretty much hearing from a wolf who heard it from another 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 wolf, etc., 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 etc. And I can only tell you what they say now. I'm pretty sure wolves are probably going to be more accurate than the average person playing telephone. And they're just basically taking the image that was given to them and passing it to the next person who passes it to the next person. And the image doesn't change because it's just the image they saw. Um, so in that regard, it's probably as accurate as can possibly be. But however, there is the aspect where the wolves themselves don't necessarily care about the details that, it, uh, say, a two-leg might care about. They don't care about what color clothes, what kind of clothes, if they're wearing clothes at all. They don't care. They just count the legs. They have an idea to avoid them. If they count the legs and they know it's the smell of, like, a twisted one or a fade, then they get a little, probably, an urge to go after just kill them. Um, but they're also going to be wary to some extent. Um, they don't care about dark friends. They don't care that they serve the shadow. They don't care. They only care about the shadow's minions that are unnatural. So it's it's interesting to see the effect of this and that there's no guarantee that what they're seeing is the same thing because you can't be like, oh, I, I need you to follow this particular dark friend that was wearing purple and has boots that smell like mud, blah, blah, blah. They're like, we don't care. <laughs> so they're like, all right, well, we can follow the Trollocs. That works. And then pack after pack is picking up the scent of these guys and tracking them. And that's how these guys, the Shinarans, Perrin, Matt, and Varen, are allowed to even be able to follow them. Now, after this... Uno mentions quietly that there's an Aielman in the rocks. This is quite the switch from what they were just talking about. And then Ingtar's just like, wait, we're pretty far from the waste. Why would they be out here? And Uno's looking like somehow manages to look offended, but doesn't change his expression. And Ingtar's like, I'm not doubting you. I'm just surprised. Like Ingtar has to defend himself against Uno, his, uh, his subordinate. 
and classic Uno is like, he flaming wanted me to see him, or I likely wouldn't have. But Uno sounds kind of disgusted with himself for having to admit the fact that he probably wouldn't have spotted an Aiel, even though he's a veteran warrior. And his bloody face wasn't veiled, so he's not out for killing. But when you see one bloody Aiel, there's always more you don't. So his eye widened, and he's like, Ben, it doesn't look like he bloody wants more than to be seen. And he points out in front of them, a man stepped out, and instantaneously, Basima drops his lance to a couch, digs his heels into his horse, and gets at least dead gallop in three strides, and other or four others joined him and hurtled towards him. And Ingtar shouts for them to stop, to hold, and that he'll have the ears of any man who doesn't stop where he stands. And Masima and the others stopped, but extremely viciously, and the horse is just sawing at the reins. And there's a cloud of dust not ten paces from the man, and they pretty much still holding their lances that he aimed at the man's chest, and he just picks up his hand and brushes away the dust as it's going towards him. And it's the only thing he had done the entire time. He just He hadn't moved, he hadn't tried to get out of the way, he just stood there and just brushes away the dust and so we have another fun part to read he was a tall man with skin dark from the sun and red hair cut short except for a tail on the back that hung to his shoulders from his soft laced knee-high boots to the cloth wrapped loosely around his neck his clothes were all of shades of brown and gray that would blend into any rock or earth. The end of a short horn bow picked over, peeked over his shoulder, and a quiver bristled with arrows at his belt at one side. A long knife hung at the other. In his left hand he gripped a round hide buckler and three short spears, no more than half as long as he was tall, with points fully as long as those of the Shinar and lances. I have no pipers to play the tune, the man announced with a smile. But if you wish to dance... He did not change his stance, but Perrin caught a sudden air of readiness. My name is Urin, of the two spires sept of the Rey Nail. I am a red shield. Remember me. So, great descriptions. I love these things gives you pretty much an exact picture that you can create in your mind and a great visual to be able to understand the typical Aielman. Tall man. Aiel are notoriously tall. This is a well-known fact. Um, skin dark from the sun. Red hair cut short. So anybody really knows red hair is typically a very pale skin attribute it's not naturally found on any other skin type mediterranean even some of the other european countries don't really have them unless they're like extremely pale but the skin being dark from the sun means they're out in the sun all the time and considering it's the waste that it's pretty much it's not quite a desert in terms of like sand and such but it is very much a wasteland where there's probably a lot of cracked earth and just dirt <laughs> in general. Um, they have bloody hot, bloody hot 
mornings and days and stuff, and extremely freezing cold nights. And the sun beats down mercilessly during the day, and then obviously you probably <laughs> I'd almost say you'd probably have frost growing every single night, but I don't think it does that far south. Um But they have this red hair cut short, so kind of in a not necessarily a a buzz cut, but probably very short not they don't wear long hair that you would imagine from any like aragorn's type hair or any of the uh fabio type long hair that flows they don't have that because probably i would assume because that would get in the way of any uh fighting or any potential losing of advantages because somebody get, gets a grab on their hair and then jerks them backwards or something. I, there's probably combat related reasons for it. Um, but he also has this little red tail that comes kind of like almost like a rat tail, <laughs> uh, that comes to the back to the shoulder. So it's not like super long, but it's enough to be there. Why that's there. No idea. Um, they were soft laced knee high boots with cloth wrapped loosely around the neck. Um, clothes are shades of brown and gray blending and, you know, basically turning yourself into a chameleon amongst rocks and earth. Um, carry a short horn bow, which is a good medium short ranged, uh, attack range. Cause I mean, you want, you want to be able to, you know, plink somebody and maybe you could do it from a somewhat of a distance, depending on the poundage of the bow. I'm not that familiar with bows to be able to tell you how far they could exactly shoot with that, but they can still be deadly and they would know their own limits. So being one of the, in my opinion, the best warriors in the world, um, they'd be deadly from wherever they feel the need to shoot from it. And they could probably shoot without you ever spotting them and you'd be dead before you knew it. So all in all, this one guy could probably take out a good, quarter of this group before anybody has any chance to really react um by himself probably i mean th these guys are pretty stinking good but he's got a bunch of arrows um they're notorious fighters so they like, one aiel can take on several men by themselves and probably kill all of them without even being injured too badly um they, they have a very strange style of combat and one that the wetlanders or everybody on the western side of the spine of the world probably wouldn't understand their abilities and be able to predict them. A lot of the, I mean, except maybe some of like the blade masters or some of the really excellent or highly excelled in warfare type warriors um, who are more cautious and prepared for more abstract styles of fighting or those who have already fought, uh, fought Aiel and survived and passed on some minor information practiced around it just in case it ever comes up again because obviously the west wasn't prepared for the aiel the first time so they're not gonna probably be prepared for the second time but be as it may the aiel can die just a lot less than their opponents um and if they know you're there you pretty much are just out of luck um, but he also has his long knife on the other side so not, not a sword, not a short sword, but a very long knife. Um, I would say probably similar to what, uh, Elias would use, um, since he's called long tooth and he's got that single long tooth. 
It's not a short sword. It's smaller than a short sword, but it's longer than your typical dagger. So it's how they keep away from the whole we don't touch swords thing is they just make knives really long. Um, but they also carry a buckler smaller than a shield. I mean, it is a shield, but it's a small shield and it's more precise blocking, I guess, than you would expect from like a basic shield or definitely a tower shield. Um, so you'd have, I, I mean, it's maybe a foot, foot and a half in probably width, I guess diameter technically, but, um, it's, it's not a... It's not something you just, like, block a whole bunch of arrow shots and stuff from. It's from, like, specifically, if somebody's trying to attack you with a sword strike or a spear strike, you use it specifically to, like, either glance off or to block and strike, as you would with your spear. And carrying multiples, typically three or maybe a little bit more, but in this particular instance, uh, it's three short spears. Now, a short spear would not be too long it's long enough to reach like think of like a long sword where it has a lot of reach but you're holding it way in the back in this case you can use them kind of holding in the middle to stab but you can also throw them but you can also kind of slash with them so if you grab like the spear in this particular hold and you know how you're holding it if it's going from the side you can slash almost like a sword and if you hit a jugular or something of that nature you're going to cause a lot of damage so these guys, I know I'm totally fanboying right now because I love the Aiel. I can't help it. Um, but you could, you, there's lots of ways you can use them, but also stabbing is very, very effective because you could pinpoint with it. And that's kind of their combat style, at least as what I've studied of it, is they block specific attacks. Like if somebody comes at them with a sword, they block the sword with the buckler and shank with the spear. Now the hand that's holding the buckler is also holding the spear or the extra spears. So if they have to throw a spear or if they get a spear stuck in a body, they can just pull out the next spear and keep going, which is pretty ingenious, honestly. And if somebody else like had a sword and they got their sword stuck in somebody, they probably don't have backups, maybe beyond a dagger, which has very little range unless they have a specific longer dagger and you'd be out of luck. Sorry. You're probably going to die. <laughs> <laughs> you might have a shield, might keep you alive a little bit, but you have no offensive capabilities at this point. Um, where the Aiel, because they're not wearing heavy armor, they're not hardly, I don't think they're really wearing any armor beyond basic leathers and such. Um, they could probably just get in there, dance around you, and you can't keep up with them because you're heavier, because you're probably wearing actual armor. And they're going to just dance circles around you and poke you full of holes. So... In their favor, it's extremely, extremely good. And in your favor, not so much. But it's a pretty ingenious battle strategy because they can do lots of things. They can hit you from range. They can hit you up close. You can pretty much grab, stab, grab, stab, grab, stab. And you've stabbed three people with three spears. And if you can grab all three of those back up, you're going and three people drop dead. I mean, speed is a huge, huge thing for the IEL. And agility, all that good stuff. So, yes, I will... I've done my... Uh, <laughs> bad boy rat but um he uh he announces the strange thing about not having pipers to play the tune well the io culture of battle and such they have very little actual singing beyond like laments of the fallen or warrior uh warrior songs and such and it's kind of a 
I see it as like a wetlander joke where they're basically saying like, I don't have anybody to play music for us to dance. And by dance, he means to fight. Um, but Hey, let's do it. <laughs> and he gives out his name. Irene of the two spires, sept of the rain. I So the, their clans are broken up in specific form and function. So you have the two spires sept, which is a section of the rain. I which is a clan. So the clan is going to be broken up into several, think of it like a pie chart. You have 13 clans and uh, each clan is a whole, but separate from the other clans. So the Aiel is the nation, the culture, the whatever you want to call it. And then it's broken up into 13 individual pies. And each of those pies are broken up even more into smaller sets. Um, a lot of the seps are named throughout the series. I could not name them all off to you on the top of my head because it's just really hard to do. But then those seps that are already broken up of those clans, which are all broken up of the actual nation, then it breaks down even more individually of the seps into um, things like the Red Shields, um, which are warrior societies. So all of the clans have all of the warrior societies amongst them. So you could be of the Rain Aiel of two different steps, one of the two spires, one of a different one, and both have red shields. But then you have two different clans with multiple different steps with multiple red shields amongst them separated that way. As far as I am aware, red shields do not fight red shields. Water seekers do not wa uh, fight water seekers. Um, stone dogs don't fight stone dogs. Like the seps or the, the, the warrior societies do not fight each other, but they'll fight pretty much everybody else, <laughs> which is like, what happens if you come down to two of these? I don't know. That's, that's as far as I can recall. And if anybody else is aware of anything else, please feel free to correct me. But it, it's a very convoluted, crazily broke down way they do things, but they're also very numerous. <laughs> In terms of like the IEL population, it's a very large nation, um, and they have a lot of territory too, which probably helps them. So, um, at this point, um, you know, Inkar, you know, dismounts, walks forward, takes off his helmet, and parents waits a second and then comes with him, and he wants to see an IEL up close, um. <laughs> acting like a black veiled Aiel, which is a term that is used. So black veil means that when they raise their veils, they're ready to attack. They're ready to go to war. They won't kill you unless their veil is up. So if their veil is up, you need to be on your toes. If their veil is down, still be on your toes, but you have less to worry about. Um, at least for the attacking aspect is what you have to worry about. They might still dodge and avoid your attacks without being veiled, but if they veil, that means good luck. You're probably going to die. Um, and Perrin recalls these stories where, you know, Aiel were as deadly as dangerous as Trollocs. And some said, some people said they were all dark friends, but he sees Urin's smile and doesn't think, yeah, it's, it, it, it doesn't look dangerous despite the fact that he's ready to leap. But his eyes were blue. So we can add this to the Aiel pool of, you know, DNA, I guess, <laughs> of descriptions we have for them. 
blue eyes, red hair, uh, pale skin darkened from the sun. They're, they're gingers in the desert is essentially what they are. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, more descriptions to basically tell us this this is how this is. And I, I just love it because I, I like being able to like picture everything in my head. And these descriptions do wonders for that. Robert Jordan does a fantastic job in a lot of cases. But then Perrin had walked up to join Ingtar. But then suddenly Matt speaks next to him about how this guy looks like Rand. And also that Ingtar might be right that Rand is an Aiel. Perrin's like, yeah, but that doesn't change anything. And Matt's like, yeah, it doesn't. But Perrin thinks that they're talking about something different. <laughs> Um, so Ingtar is like, basically like, Hey, we're, we're both not near our homes. We're far, far away. Um, but we have at least come for something other than fighting. So <laughs> Baron looks at your smile and is like, man, the guy actually looks disappointed. So I'm changing my opinion of this guy. So then, you know, Urin's like, you know, as, as you wish it, Shinoran. And then he looks over at Varen, and then uh, she gets off her her horse, and he makes an odd bow, and digging the points of his spears to the ground, extending his right hand, palm up. And he becomes extremely respectful, and he says, Wise one, my water is yours. This is a very polite, uh, hospitable term that is used. My water is yours. It's basically like, Make yourself at home is essentially what it is. But it also means I'm at your disposal. It's kind of a weird mix. Um, but he refers to her as a wise one. And I believe this is the first time we have refer we get references to wise one. Um, wise one being wise, capital W, and then a different word, one, capital O. Um, so it's a proper noun. And Varen, you know, hands her reigns to one of the soldiers and she's studying him as she comes on up closer to him. And he's like, well, why are you calling me a wise one? Do you take me for an Aiel? And he's like, no wise one. <laughs> it's completely ignoring that. Uh, but you have the look at those that make the journey to Ruidion and survive. And the years don't touch the wise ones in the same way as other women or as they touch men. So something's about this is that one, the journey to Ruidion. Well, Ruidion is going to be a place. It's capital R. Um, and he makes note that the years do not touch the wise ones the same way as other women do, implying also the ageless look of the Aes Sedai is applied similar to the wise ones. Which is a bit strange if you think about it in the long run, but just tuck that away for later in terms of understanding the differences because of the oaths and such. Um, but then, you know, Varen gets really excited and Ingtar's just kind of like, Hey, we're following dark friends and Trollocs. Have you seen any of them? And Urien's like, what? Trollocs? Where, 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 where are we going to find them? And he's like wanting to hunt them. And he's like, it is one of the signs the prophecies speak of when the Trollocs come out of the blight again, we will leave the threefold land and take back our places of old. And of course, the Shinarans are like, rrr, rrr, rrr. and Yaren's just like, hey, come at me, bro. <laughs> I know, I can't believe I just said that, but I did. So, prophecies are a big thing for the Aiel, especially 
as we will find out in a few more lines, you know, types of things like this that we'll get into. I don't, I don't want to jump into it too quickly, but essentially prophecies mean quite a lot to a lot of people. I mean, there's the prophecies, of the dragon and pretty much every people group, every civilization, everyone has prophecies in some shape or form. We don't hear about all of them. We don't even hear about most of them because we only really hear about the ones relevant to the story, but pretty much everyone has their own. I mean, the sea folk have prophecies, um, the Aiel have prophecies. The mainland has, you know, the prophecies of the dragon, the Corinthian cycle, but that's kind of like an everybody thing. So the prophecies have a lot of weight in the series. I'm going to read this next part because it's just a little short piece. The threefold land, Matt said. Perrin thought he looked still paler. Not sick, exactly, but as if he had been out of the sun too long. You call it the waste, Urien said. To us, it is the threefold land, a shaping stone to make us, a testing ground to prove our worth, and a punishment for the sin. What sin? Matt asked. Perrin caught his breath, waiting for the spears in Urien's hand to flash. Yale shrugged. So long ago it was, that none remember, except the wise ones and the clan chiefs, and they will not speak of it. It must have been a very great sin, if they cannot bring themselves to tell us, but the Creator punishes us well. So, threefold land, another term for the Aiel waste, um, it's pretty straightforward the threefold act um i think it's supposed to be the shaping uh the shaping stone a testing ground and a punishment for the sin that's the threefold it's the three things that make it a i don't know a, a growing <laughs> a learning environment a growing place i don't, I don't know how you would necessarily say it but basically um a training center, I guess, uh, preparing them for the future. Um, but all of this, the only people who know what happened are the wise ones and clan chiefs. There's 13 clan chiefs and there's who knows how many wise ones. <laughs> Probably a lot. So, Ingtar kind of just jumps in and is like, but Trollocs, have you seen the Trollocs, mate? <laughs> Gimli moment of just like, but the hobbits, have you seen two hobbits? <laughs> um, so Euron's like, well, I would have killed him if I'd seen them, but I haven't seen anything but rocks in the sky. Ingtar kind of like loses interest and Baron speaks up. He's like, this Ruidion, what is it? Where is it? And how are the girls chosen to go? And Euron just like, whoop, face drops and just like, I cannot speak of it, wise one. So Perrin grips his axe and there's something in his voice, and Ingtar had also set himself, ready to move for the sword. But there's a bit of a stir amongst the mounted men, but Varen just steps up to him and was almost touching his chest and looked into his face. And he's like, I'm not this wise one as you would know them, Huron. I'm an Aes Sedai. Tell me what you can say of Ruidion. The man who was just ready to face 20 men now looked as if he wished he could run away from the one plump woman with graying hair. <laughs> Honor is a strange thing, let me tell you. 
He's like, well, I, I can only really tell you what everyone else knows. Just Ruidia lies in the lands of the Jenail, the 13th clan. I cannot speak of them except to name them. None may go there except save the women who wish to become wise ones, or men who wish to be clan chiefs, or perhaps the Jenail chose among them. I do not know. Many go, few return, and those are marked as what they are. Wise ones or clan chiefs. No more can I say I said I, no more. And of course, Varen's like looking up at him, you know, pursing your lips in thought. And he looks, the Aielman looks at the sky, trying to remember, and he's like, are you slay me now? And she's like, what? It's <laughs> like, will you slay me? It's like one of the old prophecies says that if we ever fail the Aes Sedai again, they will slay us. I know your power is greater than that of the wise ones. And he laughs kind of mirthlessly. There's a wild light. He's like, bring your lightnings, Aes Sedai. I will dance with them. And Perrin's like, this Aiel thinks he's going to die and he's not even afraid. <laughs> and Perrin just opens and closes his mouth. And he's like, what? And Varen's like, what I would not give to have you in the White Tower, or just willing to talk. Oh, be still, I'm not going to harm you, unless you mean to harm me with your talk of dancing. <laughs> like, uh, dancing is just a strange term. But Here's another little small part I'm going to read. Urin seemed astounded. He looked at the Shinarans, sitting their horses all around, as if he suspected some trick. You are not a maiden of the spear, he said slowly. How could I strike at a woman who has not wedded the spear? It is forbidden except to save life, and then I would take wounds to avoid it. This implies something extremely unique to the Aiel. I mean, it's not even an implication, it's a, a sheer fact. But <laughs> basically a maiden of the spear is a warrior society where it's just women. It's a, it's a women's society, a women's warrior society of essentially what the Aiel men warrior societies would be, but for women. So they're just, they wear the same garb. They have the same style of fighting. They have the same equipment. They do pretty much everything else the men do. It's, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between a man and a woman, unless obviously there were some notable, noticeable differences in terms of like, face body etc um maybe height i i think i mean the iu women are also extremely tall but between women and men i think men are slightly taller in the average sense not in every sense but in the average sense um but he will only fight or iu men will only fight a maiden of the spear if that's the if that's a woman in that situation um, he can't strike against a woman who's not wedded, to get, wedded the spear. By wedded the spear, they mean married to battle, etc. It's, it's more of a, a a figurative form of speech. It's it's not a like <laughs> they didn't actually marry a spear, um, but it is forbidden for Aiel to strike a woman who's not wedded to the spear except in the instance to save life and then in that case just to take wounds to avoid it so kind of a form of the overly mentioned and horribly misinterpreted form of chivalry um where you know men do everything for women etc but in terms of this 
an Aielman could probably disarm a woman who's threatening him or somebody else pretty easily without harming him. But even if he couldn't manage to do it without being harmed by it, they would still manage to do it in order to save life. So very honor based because they are forbidden to do it, even when no one else is there to watch them. Like this guy could just kill everybody with his face revealed, even though it's forbidden to do that. But because he is bound by honor of his clan, of his sept, of his warrior society and of his nation and his culture, he won't do it. It just won't happen. And that's what makes the Aiel fantastic, in my opinion. Um, they, they're a, a, a people of principle. Even if they have things that they don't like about others. But then Varen goes on and he's like, well, why are you so far from your lands? Why are you here approaching us? And when you, you could have stayed hidden and we would have never known you were there. Yeah, I was like, well, you can tell he's obviously not wanted to say much, but he's like, hey, just tell us only what you're willing to say. I don't know what your wise ones do, but I'll not harm you or try to force you. And he pulls out some like dry humor. He's like, yeah, so the wise ones say, yet even a clan chief must have a strong belly to avoid doing as they want. In other words, the wise ones don't necessarily run the clans, but when they speak, the clan chiefs do listen and probably most of the time do as they are told. Um, the only ones that don't do it just blatantly are the ones who have a strong belly. <laughs> In other words, have spine. Um, but he, you know, thinks very carefully and is like, I'm searching for someone. It's a man. And he looks across Perrin, Matt, the other Shinarans, just ignores them. He who comes with the dawn. This is a very, very important title. And it's, it's a term used for someone specific. He who comes with the dawn. And this person is extremely important to the Aiel. Like, super, super important. But then he goes on and it says, It is said there will be great point, great signs and portents of his coming. In other words, a lot of things will happen and it will basically point directly to him. And he had noticed that these this escort is from Shinar and that Varen looked like a wise one. So maybe they had heard about some great event or events that might herald him. So like right now, the Aiel are actively searching for this he who comes with the dawn. And Baron's voice kind of goes a little bit soft and is like, a man? What are these signs? Her eyes get really sharp, though. Yaelman shakes his head. He's like, just said that we will know them when we hear of them, and as we will know them when we see him. Or he will be marked. He will come from the west, be on the spine of the world, but be of our blood. He will go to Ruidion and lead us out of the threefold land. Kind of big implication there. <laughs> it's the guy who's going to basically bring the Aiel from the wait, the Aiel wastes and into the wetlands. Um, he pulls out a spear from his right hand. Or I should say from his left hand into his right hand. Um, and you can hear the armor of leather and metal creak as the soldiers reach for their swords and Perrin had taken hold of his axe and Baron just kind of like, nah, 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 back off. 
Um, and she's got like stillness with an irritated look, like just looking at him like, don't you dare. <laughs> and in the dirt, the Eilman scrapes a circle with a spear point and then draws a sinuous line in the middle. And he's like, it is said that under this sign he will conquer. This is an important phrase. Very important phrase. Now, some of you might recognize the sign because you're about to get told. <laughs> so Ingtar looks at the symbol, doesn't seem to recognize it. But Matt mutters something coarsely in his breath because he's taken after Uno as his apprentice in the uh, ways of the swearing. <laughs> and Perrin feels his mouth go dry, you know, because what it is, is the ancient symbol of the Aes Sedai. Things are starting to tie together. <laughs> but in what way? That's the trick. So Varen, you know, scrapes away the marking with her foot. And he's like, I cannot tell you where he is. And I have heard no signs or portents to guide you to him. I have found this phrase to be very... Uh, how do you say? Uh... Potentially misleading. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I don't know. This is a phrase that veterans of the series will look at and be like, I see what you did there. I see what you did there. For those who are new, you're probably not going to recognize it. But just to kind of put it out there, mark this one down. It's going to be important later on to understand some things. Um, but then the island's just like, well, I guess I'll go and can be on my way to continue my search. And it's just like, okay. And she wait or he waits for her and she nods and he, you know, eyes the Shinarans proudly and then challenges, gives him kind of a challenging demeanor. And then he turns his back on them and just walks away smooth and just vanishes into the rocks without even looking back. And then, you know, soldiers begin muttering and Uno's like crazy buddy, I yell. <laughs> And of course, Masima growls that, you know, we should have left him the Aiel for the Ravens. Masima really hates Aiel. Just throwing that out there. If you hadn't picked that up on the first couple times we mentioned Masima. Ingtar's like, well, we've wasted valuable time. We will ride harder to make it up. And Baron's like, yes, we must ride harder. And it's like, <laughs> you guys have been killing the horses. This probably is a well-deserved rest for them. But Ingtar glanced at her. And the Aes Sedai is just staring at the ground where her foot had smudged. The symbol. And he's like, dismount. And then he says something that I find particularly interesting, considering a lot of people's viewpoints on how travel for Shinarans was. He says, armor on the pack horses. We're inside Kyrian now. So armor on the pack horses implies they've been armored this entire time. From Shinar to now. So people who say they weren't armored on their on their horses, they, you know, they carried their armor and wore it when they needed it. No, 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 no. They wore it the whole way to Kyrian from Shinar. Keep in mind, this wasn't a straight beeline to Kyrian. This was a following ziggity zaggity all over places and riding very hard, as hard as Ingtar could without killing the horses. Keep that in mind. This, these horses got to be buffed. Like, this is a workout of epic proportions. So they take off their armor, put it on the pack horses, and then it's established they are inside the borders of Kyrian. 
and that they don't want the Chiron to think we've come to fight them. I'm like, oh yes, because you know, twenty to forty Shinarans. Oh, this is gonna be. Oh, then they're they're gonna sack Kyrian, man. We won't be able to stop him. <laughs> like it's it's just funny. Um, but I guess it's it's the polite diplomatic way to do things. But he, he tells him to hurry up and be quick. Which, if anybody knows anything about armor, it is not a quick procedure. <laughs> it takes time. Um, now, obviously, Perrin, Matt, and Baron aren't wearing armor, so they're pretty much ready to go. But all the Shinarns are, you know, dismounting to take care of their stuff, and. Matt leans close to Perrin. He's like, maybe he's talking about Rand. I know it's crazy, but even Neemtar thinks he's Aiel. Perrin's like, well, I mean, it could be. Everything's been crazy since we got mixed up with Aes Sedai. But then Varen kind of speaks to herself, as if to herself, while staring at the ground. He's like, it must be a part. And yet how? Does the Wheel of Time weave the threads into the pattern of which we know nothing? Or does the Dark One touch the pattern again? And a chill hits Perrin, and then Varen looks up at the soldiers removing their armor. He's like, hurry, we must hurry. And she commands with more snap than Ingtar and Uno combined. So this little brown Aes Sedai, a brown Aja Aes Sedai, is just like, throws more snap into it than previously. And you're like, oh, wow, soldiers move. <laughs> they probably hit some record times of uh, taking off their armoring and putting it on pack horses and stuff. So, but... That was the end of the chapter. And I know it's probably shorter than the normal episode, or probably the shortest of the episodes. But it's a very it's very only a couple pages long. It's not a very long chapter. But because the book changes chapters based on perspectives and points of views, it makes sense in this regard. Um in terms of like the depth of it, we learn a bit about IO culture, their warrior culture, the warrior societies. Um, the honor that they base everything off of, a little bit about their punishment, a little bit about the wise ones, not a whole lot of everything in terms of like the entire um, nation and everything about them. But we do learn some really interesting, fun facts. Um, and again, I love the Aiel so much. <laughs> They're my go-to if I ever want to have a cool character. I'm like, I'm going to make them just like an Aiel because Aiel are awesome. But... Um, so basically, we learned about the Aiel, we learned about the wolves and how they deal with important matters. In other words, they don't care about humans at all, except to avoid them. But they do care about Trollocs, they do care about Fades, they care about those kind of things. Um, we learned how they send messages and such, and we'll probably see a, lot of, a little bit slash a lot more of that kind of thing to gain more insight into it. And then we also learn, you know a bit about how Varen wants to deal with the Aiel and that she's now really interested in her. She's her interest has been piqued, I should say about them. Um, but then we learn about the prophecies from the Aiel and uh, he who comes at the dawn and a lot of really cool stuff. And that whatever's happening in this prophecy is going to be happening soon because the Aiel are very far from home and they're, out looking and you wouldn't be out looking unless you were told to go out and look um which means somebody somewhere knows something about something i know that probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense but to the aiel it probably makes a lot of sense because they kind of do as they're told by the people who know things um so in this regard it's a very interesting chapter i really like this one <laughs> it's short but it's sweet 
and just like I like it, short and sweet. Although I like my series long, so thus real time. But let me know what you guys thought. Um, was this a very interesting episode slash chapter for you? Was this kind of boring? Did you not care as much? Did you not realize as much as you thought you were realizing it? Did it make more sense after I clarified it? Did it make you more confused after I tried to clarify it? Um, let me know. Uh, you can reach out to me at talesofaredarm at gmail.com. You can reach out to me at Facebook, just Tales of a Red Arm. You can also reach out to me on Twitter, which is at Tales of a Red Arm. Um, whichever way you guys want to to reach out to me, I'd, I'd love to hear what your thoughts, comments, anything like that are on. If you have any corrections or anything, I'd love to hear what you have to say and see if it's something that needs to be fixed. But yeah, uh, if you guys would like to send a comment or something, I'd love to hear from you and love to interact with you guys on any of those platforms, um, as well as email. So, uh, hopefully you guys will join me again next time for chapter 29, which is going to be an interesting, uh, shift probably from a viewpoint. I don't believe we have actually had uh, for a while. It, it's been, it's been some time, but it'll be fun. So, uh, I look forward to hearing from all of you guys and interacting with you online. And I hope you guys will join me for another episode next week. So look forward to hearing from you guys. So till then. We drink all night and dance all day. And on the girls will spend our pay. And when we're done, then we'll away to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the dice however they fall. And struggle the girls be they short or tall. And follow young Matt wherever he goes. To dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the dice however they fall. And struggle the girls be they short or tall. Then follow Lord Matt wherever he goes. To dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll give a yell with a bloody curse And hog the maids, it could be worse Let's ride away with the dark woods first To dance with Jack of the Shadows Here